fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 40 and 20 Podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? Man, I'm good. I'm having one of those days where I need, <clears throat> I need carbohydrates. I need a cookie. I need a beer. Bread. I, it, this has only got three carbohydrates in it. <laughs> I mean, it, there's something. It's just barely beer. You know what I had uh, for dinner? Tell me. I had uh, corned beef on a Hawaiian roll bun. Yeah, I just need the Hawaiian roll bun. Okay. I'll take the corned beef too, though. I had bacon with brown sugar and sriracha glaze. So, you know, your corned beef food truck, it, it exists. I know. Okay. Uh, one of these days, I will make a special trip out just to see. See, I forget the name of it, but I will, I will make a special trip out just to see this corned beef food truck. A visit to the promised land, if you will. So, uh, Instagram user and fellow watch fam, I love it's three. It's I L U V E T T E S three. Um, messaged us a few weeks ago on Instagram to say, "Hey, hey, your Andrew's idea already exists," which is the case with all of my good ideas. Right. <laughs> right. So there's a place in Antioch, Tennessee, called Max Corn Beef, and it's a it's a food truck that. Uh, to Andrew's chagrin, focuses solely on corned beef. I remember telling Andrew that I didn't think that idea would work or something to that effect. Wrong. Wrong. So this place looks incredible. Because everything with corned beef is good. You, you know, when he first when he first sent it to us, he was kind of chagrined about the prices. You know, I think that they're 14 15 16 bucks for most of these entree items. But he sent us a follow-up. I think he actually went. I, I kind of ribbed him, you know, like, eh, 16 bucks. That's Corned beef is hard. Corned beef is hard. And, and, and expansive. Well, so he sends us a picture. It's just half a sandwich. And this half a sandwich is, like, the size of a basketball. The, the half of a sandwich. America. <laughs> so I suspect it's, like, a pound plus of corned beef. Uh, you know, and it looks fantastic. So. And that's a good, that's a good price. Brisket's expensive. Brining it takes time consuming. Right. It, I mean, it's an, it's an intensive process. You, you know, we've got a local place here, uh, called Falling Sky. It's a brewery and they also do corned beef. They do corned meats. They do a beef belly corned beef Ooh. and a pork belly corned beef or a pe- corned pork corn belly. pork belly. Yeah, I guess, which is basically corned bacon. Um, and they run from about 16 to $28 a pound, which seems excessive until you eat this magic meat all in your mouth. Get it in there. Juice is flowing. Fantastic. Dripping down the chin. It, it's wonderful. I, 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 at one point bought like two pounds of this stuff. I spent like 40 bucks and I thought, okay, well this will be, you know, I'll eat this over like two weeks, right? Cause corned beef lasts. Um, Not in my house. <laughs> right. I went through two pounds of corned beef in like three days. Sounds right. Yeah. Constant meat sweats. Yep. For, for totally time. worth it. I also made uh, <laughs> I made beef spare ribs the other day on the electric smoker. And again, I didn't get enough of that membrane off of the bottom. And the flavor was right. The texture was right. But it just, they were a little bit gummy because I didn't get that damn membrane off the bottom. It's like I'm, a, I'm just an idiot. I like forget. I'm so excited to get ribs on the smoker. I just forget <laughs> to f- like fully trim and clean them. But yeah. Uh, oh man, they they were very good. And and you're doing a pretty slow cook on those, right? Yep, two twenty five. Uh, these I gave them two twenty five for three hours, and then I wrapped them and I gave them another two. I did the three two one on them, so Got it. a six hour total. Uh, when I did the pork ribs on the smoker, I just I kept it at like two hundred two twenty five because. Fire smoke is really hard to maintain a temperature totally at. In, in that yep. in that grill format that I have, yeah. it is constant tending, adding like like three chips of wood to make sure it stays burning, but also doesn't get too hot. It's, right. It's a dance. It, it seems like it's slow cooked, but it's certainly not set it and forget it. No, not not with not with a wood fired. But in the electric, I mean, I, I went out and checked it every half hour just to make sure the temp was right. And I only had to adjust it a couple times. Uh, pretty money. Yeah, I would have brought you some, but they were they were consumed. You're you're gonna have to get us over there one of these days and give us some smoked meat. Yeah, we'll we'll fire them both up. I'll get the I'll get a rack and a half of ribs in the in the electric and do a pork shoulder on the on the fire because that way like that way it keeps it all in one space away from the flame because mm-hmm. one side gets to, it's a whole 
for those of you who have an offset firebox on a grill, you know what I'm talking about. One end gets charred and the other end is perfect. We'll have to do like a, a variety a variety pack because uh, you know me, I love smoking wieners. Mm-hmm. And uh, I need to do salmon. We we need to we need to go salmon fishing this year and smoke some salmon too. I'm into it, dude. Yeah, I'm into it. Get deep. Mm-hmm. Get deep. Yeah, and you know Northwest, we've got fantastic king salmon out here, uh, Chinook. For the locals, we've got just sockeyes. We got it all. We have all. We have five species of salmon in our water, and and, and steelhead obviously uh, smokes really well too. I, I I know it's not quite as popular, but steelhead smokes really well. I've heard trout does too. Yeah, I mean trout smokes fine. It's mm-hmm. it's a different it's a different meat. So obviously, <laughs> well, you know, it's different. The native fish versus the you know the migratory fish. They oh yeah, just, yeah, yeah, they develop different proteins and uh, you, you know significantly bigger muscles, and they you know these fish eat primarily insects when they're in river, but when they go out to the ocean, their diet becomes almost exclusively squid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, s- small small fish and squid, um, but it's like eighty five percent, which just digests different and creates different muscles. So um, you don't get that same. Uh, you don't get that same meatiness from trout. I saw a video, a short video the other day on the gram of a dude cleaning a fish. And uh, you could see like a, it was had a really bulging stomach mm-hmm. and he pulled out a fish that was probably, I mean, it was still a whole fish, obviously, because fish don't chew things. Uh, probably about a quarter of the size of the fish that it was inside. And he just gulped it. Yeah. You, you know, I've, I've uh, cut open a salmon before that had a bunch of little, a bunch of little hatchery trout in it um like three or four of them just li- you know little pinners mm-hmm. three or four inch guys um it, you know f- fucking salmon are it was the probably weirdest. an eight inch fish inside this probably 18 inch fish so he a, a pretty big fish yeah inside. He, he 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 went after it and you, he you, won you, you know steelhead steelhead when they come back they don't eat they don't really eat so they'll attack things mm-hmm. aggressively but they're not really eating for food um salmon certainly not survival like they know they're gonna die they have to know that's right that's right they beach themselves salmon on the other hand i think just sort of gulp whatever is around them they're not eating for energy they're just sort of making space i have caught salmon that had the weirdest shit you know gravel and like how the fuck did you you know why why is there a a, why is there a three-quarter inch rock in your gut they're just they're just predators yeah. they're like sharks they get they when they catch and kill sharks and they pull out like if it, if they think it killed the people they pull license plates and trash can lids <laughs> and, and hubcaps like they just <laughs> boots they just eat oh, yeah hands you know that kind of shit alligators are pr- predators yeah you know we're the really the only really picky predators on the planet we're picky yeah we're picky i want uh, that ribeye uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh i had ribeye this week Winco had a killer price. For those of you who aren't familiar, Winco is like a a big box discount kind of place. Yeah, you that... know, I think they're like a combination between like a Sam's Club and a uh, and a, a grocery supply. Yeah, it's weird. They get their produce from the same places that all the organic grocers get it from. So, like, I, the truck makes a stop there, and then they go on to other organic grocery stores. So, I know they're getting different stuff, but these you can order tiers, but. They have typically pretty good stuff, and every once in a while, like if you go in the middle of the week, they have all their just for you closeout pricing on meats. Mm-hmm. And I fill the freezer with that stuff if there's if it's not otherwise otherwise occupied. A lot of the local independent restaurants, specifically ethnic restaurants, do most uh, of their convenience stores too. Their supply at at Winco, yeah, convenience stores too. So, okay, well, we maybe should stop talking about Winco. Yeah, I move on to Cash and Carry, which is another store that a lot of local <laughs> uh, restaurants use. And they are an excellent source of meat because you can buy bulk, like grocery-sized meat. They're a grocery supply store. Yeah. Uh, and they are killer. You can buy like 20-pound briskets there and get a good price on it. And five you know, gallons of soy sauce. I don't need five gallons of soy sauce, but you can buy it there. They also sell uh, like restaurant-quality uh, restaurant quality storage. So you mm-hmm. can get Cambro containers and stuff. Cash and Carry, y'all. Yeah. I don't know if that's a national chain. Uh, I don't know if it's... It sounds like a national chain, though, right? Yeah. And I think that they're more targeted towards retail. So, we're talking about watches today. The State of the Union address. State of the Union. With respect to watches. Yeah. I love it. And you you don't even have to hear any Donald Trump today. Not today. 
We could but, play a soundbite if you like, but we probably won't. Plenty of lies still. Yeah. Oh, certainly lies. Exaggerations. Complete Hyperbole. Mistruths. We got it all for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we won't be vulgar, though. <laughs> so, so, so this actually came about, <clears throat> excuse me, this came about on the 3rd as we were getting ready to record. For America Day. For America Day. Or did we record on the 4th? No, I worked on the 4th, so okay. we recorded on the 3rd. We recorded on the 3rd, and I got a couple messages that said, Hey, are you guys going to do an America Watch episode? Which I feel... publishing on Thursday. So embarrassed yeah. for not having thought of that. Yeah. Like well, ashamed. And, and at the point those messages started coming in, a couple guys uh, in particular, Instagram user Euro, E-U-R-O-W, uh, who's been a great friend of the show, um, Instagram user middle six feet. Uh, some of these guys came and said, "Hey, you guys are doing an America episode, right?" And well, sadly, we've already prepared uh, for a different episode, so we're not. But maybe we'll do it next week. So this is your one week late Independence Day America Watch episode. And I apologize. I've been off my game in the way of being creative. Yeah, no, you have. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry to all y'all out there, but here it is, a week late. <clears throat> Let's keep the America party going. And, and so in advance, before we start, a huge shout out to Instagram user Middle Six Feet. It's spelled just like it sounds, uh, who was tremendously helpful in helping us prepare for this. This um, What do we call these? Episode- <coughs> <coughs> I don't think he's going to die. Not today. <laughs> We call these episodes. Yeah, right? yeah. So middle six feet, uh, who who just has he's a wealth of information, super knowledgeable when it comes to historical American watches, Elgin and Hamilton. Um, just has a ton of knowledge, and he was a tremendous help to us um, as far as sending us information, blogs to read, and and information. And in fact, he's got more information than you or I could possibly digest for the purposes of this episode. So. Yeah. Or gain. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, he's just an encyclopedia, so. Yeah, all of you guys are. I- I'm You're always amazed. Way more qualified to be doing this than we are, yet yeah. here we sit. You, you know, and I think it's it's that way with everybody, right? Everybody's got their thing, and so when you find someone's thing, it's always really cool to see. You know, I remember when we did our Military Watches episode, and uh, we were kind of new. Field Watches. I field think Watches, yeah you're, to, you're, yeah, you're right, you're right, it was Field Watches. And, and we were, you know that must have been what episode six or five or it was early in the game yeah it it was early and uh you know the next day i've got this you know 10 message dm from dan c you you know our our british brethren who is probably the smartest military watch guy on the planet um and, and you know i didn't know who he was but that means he's listening what's that means he's listening yeah he's listening you know and and he's up man he he sends us this this message and I, at first I'm like gosh I, I don't know what to think I think that was the first time that it happened to us where we had published and someone was like hey cool episode you guys missed some things and here's this wealth of information and it was kind of overwhelming at the time you know I don't know who this guy is um, and, and then and then and then things started clicking because he had already been on two broke watch snobs at that point and I had listened to his episode and it it was a little it, I connected the dots and I'm like oh man we've just been blessed. By, you know, this expert, uh, and it's kind of overwhelming and cool and humbling, um, but it, now it happens, I don't know, every week almost, it seems like. We're- I think it was definitely the first experience we had of, of listener feedback that was sharing information with us, because to to make us more knowledgeable, to make us better, because that was one of the reasons that we wanted to do this, is to, to get smarter and to... to connect with everybody in the watch fam in a in a meaningful way where we can i mean talk watches and drink beer and do what we like and engage folks in the same conversation because there aren't many watch people that i know personally uh and and through this process we've come to know quite a quite a good amount of watch people with way more knowledge who are way smarter than we are and that's kind of what we wanted yeah yeah it's really cool you know it makes me it makes me really excited to, you know, transition maybe to this next phase of our show. And we've talked about this internally, and I think we probably talked about it publicly a little bit. But I think the next phase of our show, we're really going to concentrate on the on the interview format. So more guests, 
um, more more people that I want to talk to and and that I, I'm guessing you want to listen to. So you um, being the listener, because I also want to talk to him. Right. <laughs> you being the listener that you person who takes time out of your week to, to listen to us ramble, um, you, you know, to, to give you some variety to to really open up our um, really open up what we're doing here. So, yeah. Thanks, Middle Six Feet. Thanks, Dan C. from four months ago. And uh, thanks, everybody. Thank- Keep writing in with ideas. It, we, yeah, we love it. We like doing uh, ideas that aren't homegrown. We love your your episode suggestions and things you want us to talk about. Because a, you're more inclined to listen, and B, it's it it breaks up the humdrum of of things that we're thinking about, questions that we want to answer. You know, we did get a suggestion this week to do a Swedish watch episode, and <laughs> I I think it came I, no tongue in cheek, um, and which makes me consider it too, but. Uh, I thought, well, that's interesting. So let's we'll, just do a globe trot. We'll just focus on watches that are coming from uh, countries. It, it, we'll, we'll have to take a look at it. I, I thought a Swedish watch episode. I don't know. There's got to be cause for it. We're doing an American watch episode, and let's be real. At this point in history, in the world, in the, in the way of mega brands, do you do you really think that we're going to have Sweden beat? Yeah, no, we do not. I mean, Daniel Wellington's yeah. out of Sweden, so yeah. We, we already lose. Yeah. Daniel Wellington's a global powerhouse. There is one really impressive watch brand that I'm excited to talk about as we get a little bit deeper into this that is not just an American watchmaker. He's an Oregon-based watchmaker. Ooh, I dig it, man. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's get right into it. Can you, can you, can you start me off in uh, the 17th century uh, watch world? Let's, let's just start off by saying there was a whole lot of promise from the American watch industry. And we sacrificed our prowess as global watchmakers and powerhouses to fight in World War II. That's the TLDR of this story. Yeah, that's that's how it happened. So, Switzerland, you can keep you can keep it. You're welcome. The rest of the world, because this is our Fourth of July episode, so I can be a little bit gross. <laughs> it's our well, it's our eleventh of the July. No, it's our America Day celebration <laughs> episode. Okay. You don't know when we're recording. <laughs> yeah, but they've already listened to the 4th of July episode. Maybe. Hopefully. Regardless. Start we took, us off. We took one for the team. So, you, you know, America, America, we're babies, right? Yeah, we're just babies. children's. And internationally, we're babies, right? We've been, you know, everybody at this point has seen Hamilton. And if you haven't, you should. But, you, you know, really, we're talking about middle of the 18th century, before America, you know, gets its feet under it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, so while the Swiss and the British were killing it and making watches 17th and 18th century, America really doesn't get started. We're working on roads. That's right. Infrastructure, um, governance, um, you, you know, we're, we're building a country. A revolution and a few wars, you know. What does happen, though, is particularly in the Northeast, uh, the the manufacturing processes in America, because of the way our country's coming from nothing, you, you know, blank page, we're killing it in terms of manufacturing. So we've got smart people, innovative people, and they just, you know, mid-19th century, early 19th century, we've got some of the best machining processes, manufacturing processes in the world because of because of what we've become because, as a country. Because we have the environment for it, we've got the need, and we've got the opportunity. And those two things collide to create this perfect storm of innovation and entrepreneurial spirit. And so there's a little town little town called Waltham in the state of Massachusetts. Waltham, Massachusetts. Waltham, Massachusetts. And these guys. Do you think they say Waltham? 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 I think it's Waltham. They they say uh, they say all sorts of weird things. It doesn't have an R in it, so we can trust that it's not like, like pirate speak. But Like Worcester? Yeah. Massachusetts? Worcester, Massachusetts? Waltham? Well, that was one of those words when I was in Massachusetts and, and you'd say things like grinder. I, you know, people would be like, I'd say, oh, you know, I'll take a grinder. You mean a grinder? Uh, yeah, a grinder. Yeah, we just no, said no, the same no, thing. It, it's a grinder. And, you know, Worcester was another one. It's got so R, like, it's not H's. Worcestershire, but it's Worcester. <laughs> Worcester Mass. Wrong. 
Anyway, Waltham. Waltham, Massachusetts. These guys figure out how to cut metal better than anybody in the world. Waltham, Massachusetts in particular. And this fella named Aaron Dennison starts the Waltham Watch Company, 1854. And they make the very first 100% American-made watch. Waltham Watch Company, it's kind of a big moment, right? Because it starts this thing where in the next 100 years, next 80 years, America would become the best mass market, mass produced watchmakers in the world because of our ability to make shit on an, in an automated way, right? So you've got, you, you know, Ford comes out of this movement and all these processes. Industry. This is, this is the first big industrial boom in North America. And we're capitalizing on it in a way that's solving problems. I, timekeeping was enormously important for the expansion of railways, which was at that point in time, one of the national mandates was to grow the rail industry and timekeeping played a huge role in that. Yeah. And so mid, mid 19th century, 1850s, 1860s, by the 1870s, the United States sort of mass automated watchmaking industry is the best in the world. And it's putting serious pressure on the English and the Swiss in particular, who are still doing better high-end stuff. Well, the Brits kind of fall off. The Swiss are still doing the best handmade stuff in the world. But by the 1870s, we're killing them in our ability to quickly make things, make them consistently. Um, and, and you know, I, I think there's this story about this expo where they come over and these Swiss guys are just stunned by our ability to to cut screws to cut these screws for these watches because we have this fantastic precision machine screw process and it's like holy cow this is incredible so you, you know tech advances really to interrupt there that's the birth of IWC an American travels to Switzerland to join those two ideas to join the the speed and reliability and precision manufacturing with Swiss elegance, with Swiss quality, and IWC was born. Right. And so, and so, right. The Swiss yeah. being the Swiss, the Swiss being the Swiss are going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and they okay. do. We, we got this. We got you, America. Yeah. And so, by the time we get into the 20th century, the Swiss and the Americans are very competitive in terms of their ability to make to make watches. <clears throat> the Swiss still at this point, hands down, and, and this never changes, even even to today, the Swiss still make better handmade stuff than anybody in the world. You, you know, the high end handmade stuff, it's still the Swiss. Mm-hmm. But in terms of in terms of mass produced, automated to the market watches, very close. You've got the Americans and you've got the Swiss. And obviously we've got the French and, you, you know, we've got other countries in play. But it's really British have kind of fallen off the Americans and the Swiss. And the British fell off as a function of, of, of they were trying to use the American process of centralizing production but didn't have the same processes available to them or the technology developed as American watchmakers or Swiss watchmakers do have this process of bringing in specialists for each process. And everyone lives in this really close proximity and it's a decentralized, but everyone's still kind of working towards the same goal. Uh, And as a function of that, they can produce a lot more watches. And I think the figure was at at the peak of their production, uh, England was producing... 20,000 watches a year and Switzerland 200,000. I couldn't I couldn't pull for the time period what American watch producers were producing per year, but we're looking at a 200,000 number figure out of Switzerland yeah. with these processes in place. And, and this will come back, right? This mm-hmm. this idea comes back into the story. The Swiss, the Swiss have a thing. And, and to this day, they still have a thing that makes their ability to produce watches uh incredible so so this idea this this theme will come back so um you you know 1900s americans are doing in-house swiss are outsourcing most of their products so so america you know you can think of a building and in that building we've got we're making mainsprings here 
We're making, you know, the Ibache, which is maybe the mainspring too. I don't know. But that sounds cool you, when you say it. You know, they, they're making the Ibache over here. They're making the the jewels here. They're making the cases and the crystals here in this section of the building. Second floor, you've got your dials and straps. You know, they're making everything in the same building. Versus the Swiss, they actually have um, folks making mainsprings in a building in, in this town. In one valley. And they've got folks making making jewels over here in this town. And, and so we you run into a thing in America where... If you have a problem in house, you don't have the ability to outsource. And this, and this is the thing that that both made the American watch industry strong, but also eventually leads to their downfall, right? I think it's exactly where the American watch industry currently is. I think that spirit of in house, solve your own problems, Can do you your own thing, beers is is alive and well in america yeah right it's that rugged individualism and we'll get there we'll We'll get there there. so so you know we have world war one world war one comes you get the trench watch all of a sudden these joes are coming back and and we talked about this i think in the field watch episode Mm -hmm. um you've got joes coming back from war in england uh or in the uk you know you've got your dirty dozen watches dirty dozen is that right in, in the United States, we've got our W10 mm-hmm. watches. Um, you, you know, we've got this this idea of uh, of G.I. Joe or, or, you know, being a man and you're wearing your watch. And, and so all of a sudden, the wristwatch is the thing to have. And so you get these wristwatch races. The, the Brits do okay. The Swiss obviously take off like the Swiss do. We struggle. Mm-hmm. We struggle. Um, a few companies in particular, you, you know, Waltham, the first watch company really struggles with the wristwatch and, and, and eventually much later in the sixties shuts down and, and is no longer a watch company in part, in major part because of their inability to transition to being a wristwatch company in, mm-hmm. in a world where pocket watches are no longer relevant. Yep. And then in in other part, we, we just could not keep up with automatic movement technology. That's right. We being American watch companies. That's right. I wasn't so, there, but that was that was a huge trigger. Is that is is the manual wind kind of went out of style, and it it the, it was replaced by the automatic wind, which right. is something that Swiss watchmakers and and other European watchmakers really honed, and American watch companies struggled to keep up with that development. That's right. Yeah. So so post World War One, you have three big players pop out, right? You've got Waterbury, Elgin, and Hamilton are are your big players, amongst others, right? We've still got Illinois. We've still got. Um, you had mentioned another one earlier. Ball, perhaps. Ball is there. Um, uh, so, but but really, you've got these big three: Elgin, Hamilton, and Waterbury. Um, but but as as you know, as the world knows, right after World War One. We get World War Two, and, and guess that what? Totally changes the game. Yep, because America was busy. We we was busy making shit, and, and so companies like Timex or Waterbury, um, companies like Elgin, companies like Hamilton, get used by the government to supply things for the war effort, and so they're no longer making watches, and certainly some watches are being made still. But by and large, the majority of their manufacturing efforts get transitioned to, you know, things that you need for war, radios and phones. And and more importantly, their R&D stops. You can't do R&D if you're not making watches. Right. So their, their research, their development, it all comes to a grinding halt for us being America in 1941. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and, and so... As we all know, the World War II doesn't last for forever. It ends at some point. And money gets put back into these watch companies. But by this time, the Swiss in particular have become so good at everything they're doing that we, we, the American watch industry, really struggles to catch up. And, and these manufacturers go so far as to lobby in Congress for, you know, handouts, bailouts. To- in the 60s, even with uh, with with the space watch race yeah and, and and it doesn't work 
nope, it doesn't work. Um, you know, really, only one company makes it through this. Hamilton doesn't really make it through. Kind of. I mean, they Kinda. went through and then and then found a new home. Waltham shuts down in the 60s. Elgin shuts down in the 60s. You know, these companies the, just... Yeah, that 1950s, 60s was the death of the American watch company, by and large. So, so Waterbury is, you know, the one company to sort of make it through. So they become the United States Time Corp. And then later become the company we know and love as Timex. Now, Timex is actually owned by a Dutch co- Dutch company. Yep. <laughs> so we consider them an American company. They're I headquartered s- in America. They're HQ'd. Yeah, they're HQ'd here, obviously. Um, but, but you, you know, owned by a Dutch company. And, and as everybody knows, heavily reliant on foreign manufacturing. Entirely. Well, almost entirely, and so we can talk about that a little bit later. But the one American watch company to make it through is almost certainly very minimally American. But if you look at even big, big mega brand companies now, their ownership changes. There are mega, there are large mm-hmm. Swiss watch companies owned by Chinese companies, and it's sure. it's it doesn't matter anymore. It, at this point, it's who holds them now. That's right. Yeah, that's right. They're they're major manufacturing corporations which which most of them have other lines other technology lines in their portfolio not just watches because to survive on watches alone uh, as a as a large corporation i i think would be impossible well yeah i mean pretty difficult right as as a you know bigger you get the the more you need to to have your fingers in other in other pies so um I think generally folks probably are familiar with the story of Timex. They never went anywhere. You know, they they killed into the quartz crisis. They really... Um, they leaned into it. They leaned into it. They transitioned heavily. They relied on, on affordable Asian manufacturing. Um, and, and, you know, Timex is this giant, global, powerful company now who's, who's just right now really taking advantage of the power you, you know I, I think they've perhaps slept a bit too long but you can maybe s- yeah you can see that timex right now is figuring out that we have a huge ability to affect this market and, and we're going to get back into the game no more uh no more being limited to iron mans and cheap and cheap quartz movements we're going to start killing it and as we've seen with the Timex Q or the Q Timex, excuse me, um, we've seen with the uh, American, what are we, what are they calling that? What are they calling? I don't that really watch? understand your question. The American documents okay. collection, um, the the Marlin release that came out recently. You know, Timex is is killing it right now, but it, it's it's only been very recently that they've they've really entered back into real sort of. Uh, watch nerd watchmaking and i think they're they're in a unique position right now to try to take back some of the uh, american disposable income um, market um, because the swiss industry has a huge market share in america that's seeing some dips it's it's seeing a downtrend and it's it's going up and down but i think right now timex is seeing an opportunity to capitalize on disposable income in the American consumer market to try to start to take away something from the the Swiss imports. Right. And I hope they do because they've had some cool releases in the last several months to a year. And I'm excited to see what's coming next. And, and if they keep selling out, you know, they, they, they need to make sure that they pace themselves and they need to make sure they're making quality pieces. But yeah, there's zero doubt in my mind that they're going to continue to, to open up their, their share of that cool watch market. Well, I think too, with the, with the resurgence of uh, reissues, I think vintage watches are, are kind of going to be the thing for the next couple of years or vintage inspired watches. Yeah. Uh, just, just the way uh, you see new releases coming out. I think that's what manufacturers are banking on is that the, the reissue. Uh, and I think Timex has a lot of really great options to reissue. Yeah. We were talking about Casio jumping in that game too. Casio needs to, Casio needs to step up there their reissue game because we all know the f91 and we know some of these vintage some of them they don't have to reissue because they're still in production (laughs) (laughs) but their bank uh, i mean in the 80s they were just absolutely killing it with cool you you know that and they are dropping a reissue they are dropping our issue yeah i sent you that so um i can't remember what the what the model was i I don't remember the 
I don't remember it either. <laughs> I think it's the one that Hopper's wearing in Stranger Things 3. We'll drop it in the show notes for you, The uh, a new cool Casio. But America. Fuck yeah. So, Is that the first fuck? Uh, I think I probably dropped oh. a fuck. Oh, now we've got some on the bank. Sorry, kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, so of the other, you know, big three, Hamilton. Hamilton's story is is interesting because Hamilton never dies. Hamilton keeps going. They're a phoenix. They're a phoenix. Um, you, you you know, you had mentioned earlier the the difficulty the Americans had to make automatic movements. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Ham- Hamilton was no stranger to that. They They struggled with automatic movements, but... What they did uh, was go to the experts and they went to the Buren watch company in Switzerland and they said, Hey, we make watches. You guys make watches. We should be friends. And then they became best friends. And then they started a American Swiss operation where they'd make things here. They'd make things there. And, and we've got Buren watches with Hamilton stuff. We've got Hamilton watches with Buren stuff, shared technology, um, and really cool watches, but which I I think is the first true brand collaboration we see. I can't think of any before that that are that's a brand merger to share technology. And, and you know, Hamilton was a perfect company for it because because Hamilton is killing it through the first part of the nineteenth or first part of the twentieth century. You know, they're making really cool watches, very neat aesthetic design choices. Um, high quality, lots of precious metals. Uh, you, you know, they're sort of the the luxury watchmaker in the states, and and not not just out of some sort of domestic pride. They're actually innovative and and really knocking it out of the park. Elvis, um, famous people are are into it, and and they're making a competitive piece. So. It was a really natural transition for them to start using a, a company with the fantastic knowledge about movements uh, to, to keep their brand going. But what it does mean is that eventually the writings on the wall early on, they switch, they move all of their movement production to Switzerland. And Because why not? That's the peak not? of the technology. And, and, and the rest is history. You know, we all know that, that Hamilton is now a completely Swiss company. Um, bought out little sellouts little to no american uh anchor for hamilton at at all anymore which is kind of sad because they're this heritage american company it's sad for me i don't know that it's sad for anybody else besides you know prideful i think it'd be a little i'm glad they don't ever try to capitalize on that heritage american brand branding and I, i think they recognize that it would be a little bit uh I think inauthentic. That, I think that they definitely. I think that they definitely um, pl- play the play their own history well without being overtly um, dishonest about it. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 make they released just a few years ago a hack watch, and um, so so Hamilton still knows where they came from, and they're still able to um, re- rely on their own library. But but I think you're right. Without doing it in a way that's ostentatious or, or dishonest. So the other one, the other one, Elgin Watch Company. And this is a sad story. This is a sad story. Mm-hmm. Right. So Elgin, Elgin, and, and I'm going to quote middle six feet here. Elgin was the salt of the earth company. If if Hamilton was the Rolex of the states, Elgin was the salt of the earth watch company. They're making workhorse middle-class watches for for every man and and there's the lord elgin watches which are which are a a higher and upscale brand but they're not using high-end metals they're not using um platinum I, i i know there are some gold lord elgins but but really they're making watches for guys like you and me and um that sort of plate puts them in a place right limited means to really innovate if if everything you're selling is targeted at the everyman it gives you limited means to really push now i do know that there were some elgins that were very high end but it it was the it it was the exception as opposed Mm -hmm. to the rule you know hamilton's were making high-end watches elgin really wasn't but they see the writing on the wall this this move to automatic watches and they do something really interesting instead of trying to recreate a swiss movement they start with a blank page 
and they make an automatic watch movement. They make an automatic watch movement from scratch. And it's killer. It's killer. But it's deeply flawed. It's deeply flawed. And it's... And <laughs> Do those it's, two things go together? You know, they don't. Yeah. They don't. Um, <clears throat> it, it's killer in terms of innovation. And it's killer in terms of their ability to engineer this thing and put it together. But it's deeply flawed in a way that makes it such that it, it, it actually winds up hurting them. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you know... They're not able to get through that. And the amount of money it takes and the amount of energy that they had to invest, they just simply weren't able to make it. In 1968, Elgin and shuts down. Vostok was able to make it work because they were state funded. It, that's right. Yeah. That, you can start from the ground up when you have unlimited money. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and so we're really in the 60s in a place where all these companies are sort of on a razor's edge. And, you know, by and large, they don't make it. Hamilton makes it because they go overseas. Timex makes it because they go overseas. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not, they outsource. Like, yeah, we're not able to do it. So this comes back to this idea of in-house, completely in-house companies versus companies with a diversified supply chain. And we see that crunch at the end of World War II that lasts really through the '80s, where to be an independent company in the United States just becomes impossible. I mean, the last the last holdout was Bulova, and they sold in, what, 2011, 13? And in the meantime, they made shitty watches. Yeah. You, you know, and, and sort of akin to Timex, although Timex, uh, I think, has maybe a, a little bit cleaner lineage than and Bulova. Th- but I th- and I think also Timex is, is comfortable with where they are in the market segment. Yeah, and, and, and it doesn't seem like Bulova ever, ever has gotten there. Mm-hmm. Computron's dope, though. Yeah, sick watches. So, y- y- you know, that is... I think an abridged history of of American watches. Uh, it's certainly not comprehensive. Can't be. It can't be. We don't have time. I mean, this would be a ten part series, and we'd still and we'd screw everything up anyway. So, yeah, we're, um, we're definitely going to link some. We're definitely going to link some articles in the show notes. There's some blogs that I thought were super interesting, in particular on Hamilton and Elgin that we got from Middle Six Feet. But um, this we hope is interesting and, and sort of a a. a a threshold for you if you're interested in this and if not if this is all you want to know i think that's fine don't rely on the things we say because we're kind of idiots yeah so what about now so now we're into the modern era what about now i hiccuped and burped all at once into the microphone <laughs> you're welcome now i think we're ha- we're seeing a, a bit of a renaissance in the way of the american watch industry yeah absolutely we are renaissance is the right word for it and i think we're seeing it in the way of small brands call them micro brands call them small brands call them what you want we're seeing it in the way of that of that true to form american original all in-house and they're outsourcing for parts and stuff but for the most part we're dealing with a lot of in-house functionality with the globalized resources that are available to to cut out some of the cost, to cut out some of the R&D, to cut out the tens of millions of dollars it would cost to start a watch brand. And we're seeing some really great design, some really great decision making, and some really fantastic watches coming out of small brands based right here in America. You know, we're, 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 we see, see some big stuff. You know, I, I think we're on the cutting edge of the smart watch industry. Call it what you will. I mean, there's something to be said in that because we recognize that we American companies recognize that that's where watches are tending towards outside of watch nerds. And that's just the the reality of it. You know, Garmin's in on the game. Uh, obviously, Apple is leading the charge. You, you've got smartwatch companies all over the world uh, that are... Samsung, Xiaomi. Sunto. Uh, I mean, yeah. take your pick. Casio is, is in on it. Every, everyone's in on the smartwatch. Tissot is in on the smartwatch. We're just there. That's that is a part of the watch world at this point, and it's bringing people back into watches. And I saw a smartwatch. I saw an Apple Watch with a uh, a, a Rolex face on it the other day, and and, and you which know, was cool. I I kind of dug it. But this smartwatch move is is doing two things. One, it's crunching the big players, and two, you nailed it. Right? It's it's creating this. <laughs> nostalgia you know the same the same thing that's making people want vintage or you know vintage re-release timex and seiko and casio is is making people 
just generally into the idea of an analog tool because they're counterculture to a point that's right i saw a hipster fellow with a handlebar mustache wearing a gold casio calculator watch right that's the and i really dug his watch but i I, i'm not cool enough to wear the gold calculator i know that about myself he was because he's a handlebar mustache you should grow a handlebar mustache i can't you know that about me (laughs) (laughs) i think i could I think you could. I, I think I could. If, if I worked on this hard enough right now, I could candlebar what I got. That was That's so icky. <laughs> oh, that's yucky. But what we're at is we're at a, a, a rebirth, a, a renaissance in American watchmaking where people are passionate about making watches. And we've got some really cool companies out there doing that. And, and one that I wanted to highlight right off the bat is Keaton P. Myrick. Myrick. I, I'm sorry. Uh, it's M Y R I C K. Yeah, I think it's Myrick. Out of Portland, Oregon. The dude does built to order, 100% him in house making the watch from raw metal, from raw materials. And they are so fucking cool. And now is he is he outsourcing jewels and mainsprings? It, maybe. I couldn't tell from That's his website, guess. but but everything he. he some of his videos, he's got his machine, like his little CNC machine, working on things. Like he's he's building things from the ground up, yeah. and they are so cool, so cool. And and what's the so so what's the price range on on Mark's? You gotta ask. You can't afford it. Yeah. Because there are not prices. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I assume probably that twenty thousand. Yeah, they're in that twenty to forty thousand dollar range, sort of. Um, same as RGM, you know, there's mm-hmm. a couple companies in the United States that have, have really sort of taken on this mission of and crafting. So, and, and I think that that brings me to the other thing that I think is really affecting, uh, not other things, but the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not other things. Not yet. Just an, another thing that's affecting our push in America. So, so one, we have the smartwatch industry. Um, and and that's sort of an ancillary effect, but but I think you're right on that. That's really you, you know behind this push. The other thing is Eta. Yep, Eta. So Omega is is doing a thing, and by by limiting access to their movements or or threatening to limit access to their movements, people are forced to find other options. That's right. So so you've got companies like Myrick, you've got companies like RGM. Um, you've got companies like Weiss in, in Los Angeles who have said, you know, if this is going to happen, we got to do it. Mm-hmm. We got to do it. And and we're at a stage right now in the United States where we're on the precipice of having the ability for the first time since the 60s to make a watch mm-hmm. in the United States. We're still not there yet. We're close. But we're really close. I, I think jewels, mainsprings and pinions pinions mm-hmm. are still are still a struggle but so so we're at a stage where except for those three parts we're 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 going to get there and, and and being so close is going to make it so that someone someone's going to come out and say hey I'm an american ruby maker jewel maker you know I'm an american mainspring maker or or whatever it's going to happen it's just a matter of time and then you're going to see companies like Shinola or Mercer or Bernhardt, like any of these American companies transition because Shinola's outsourcing, outsourcing, uh, Mercer's outsourcing, Bernhardt's outsourcing, and they're bringing in movements from around the world. And you're going to see this shift where people know these brands, they're comfortable with these brands, and suddenly they have the all American made, the all American parts option. You're not, you're, you're going to see a price increase, and that's. That's okay. I mean, for, for, for those of us who aren't comfortable with price increases, there's still going to be watches out there with Miyota movements. There's still going to be watches out there with Seiko movements. And that's the, there's a place for them. But there's, there is a place waiting to be filled by all-American-made, all-American-parts watches. I think there is. Yeah, no, there certainly is. There certainly is. As affordables. Afford- I, I mean, I, I need to caveat that with affordables. Well, and I and I think that Weiss is there, you know, and when I when we say affordable, we mean 500 to 1,000 mm-hmm. at, at the top end. Weiss is more than that, a, a lot more than that. But he's right there. You, you know, Cameron Weiss is right there. So um, can we talk about Shinola real quick? Please. Shinola. This is an American company. Detroit. 
it's a heritage American company that's, Very. that's sort of been revived, you know. So. Doesn't have a lot to stand on in the way of heritage, but plays on the heritage yeah, game. Yeah. But, you know, 2011, Shinola comes out with an American-made watch. And I've got finger quotes. You can't see them. But an American-made watch. You, you know, it, it, it only takes a couple of years for the FTC to, to whack that down, right? We, you know, you guys can't say it's an American-made watch when you're using Swiss fucking movements. And, and which is reasonable to say that's a problem you know that's a problem for Shinola, and it's a whack down and to this day people will will poo poo Shinola because of this thing um you, you know from the beginning i no think... one should have been surprised yeah. they weren't saying they were machining their own parts i mean it's not an uncommon pro- process to buy swiss parts because they make the best parts right now to buy their parts assemble them slap them in your shit and it, it's still American made. And that brings up an important point, right? So um, to, to say something is American made is different than to say something is Swiss made or Japanese made or French made or pretty much any other made there is. So for, for to be a Swiss made watch, I think it's 40 or 60. I can't remember. But 40 or 60% of the manufacturing has to happen locally but I, I think that there's ways to even fudge that right it's like kentucky whiskey right that's right mm-hmm. um to say your pro your your uh product is american made it's got to be all or substantially all in america and that goes all the way back to raw materials mm-hmm. raw materials if you buy chinese leather and make a strap from it in the united states you can't say it's american made which is a crazy high threshold. Crazy high threshold. And, and it's the it's the highest threshold in the world. So when we poo-poo Shinola, we're, we're noting that there's a different standard for American-made. So Cameron Weiss, I don't think, because he gets mainsprings and rubies in Switzerland, I don't think that he can say he's got an American-made watch. I think he has to stipulate 95% American-made or whatever. That's different than anywhere else in the world. So here we've got guys that are doing all the assembly, doing all the testing, doing 95% of all of the machining, um, acquiring acquiring raw materials locally, and they still can't say made in America. That is incredible. And, and there's going to be some pride in that. When we finally do have our fully made in America watch, whoever it is, whether it's Cameron or RGM or... I'll put the money down. You know, that's right. Well, maybe I won't. It depends. But I'll put some money down. That's right. So, um, you know, we've talked about some of these companies. We've talked about Shinola. We've talked about RGM. Now, now RGM watches, they're kind of the OG in the American watch game, right? They've been making movements. I think that they're... um, Myrick is doing the same thing as RGM, but just on a much smaller scale. Yeah. Um, You you know, but these watches are $10,000 to $40,000. But very, very, very high levels of finishing plating um you, you know all the goodies all the goodies you're getting a watch that's similar quality to uh, a handmade paddock or something you know you're getting a very high quality timepiece um for your twenty thousand dollars for your toyota corolla uh or, or no corolla costs twenty thousand dollars <laughs> i don't know new off the lot you're leaving it for under 20 <laughs> Right. So, uh, you, you know, that's that there's something to be said for that. Maybe um, that's what I should get for my kid for a first car. Uh, I should get me a new watch. <laughs> get an RGM. Yeah. <laughs> but there's lots of companies, right? There's, you know, Brew Watch Company doing yeah. all their assembly here. Um, you, you know, in in Brooklyn with, with Seiko Me- Mecha Quartz. Se- Seiko? Yeah, that's the one. Seiko Mecha Quartz movements. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in their in their espresso timer. What's the name of that watch? Retrograph. Yeah, retrographs. Uh, there's there's dozens. V- Vortic. Mm-hmm. Well, Vortic's a cool company, right? Because mm-hmm. Vortic's truly American made. They're using Illinois or Hamilton. Maybe not Hamilton anymore since they got sued. Zodiac, owned by Fossil, American made. <laughs> <laughs> Kobold, Martinero, Oak and Oscar. Oak and Oscar makes some cool watches. Um, you, you know, we could talk about that. There's a bunch of brands now, and we've we're we're sort of late to the game here, and so we'd just be throwing out names like I just did. But there's a ton. If if you want an, a watch that's made by an American company assembled here, you can find them. There's only a few that are making movements here. Weiss, 
RGM, Myrick, and there's a couple of others mm-hmm. too. Um, but but that's much more limited, and and you get up in price really quickly. But if you want a watch that's assembled here, machined and assembled here, you can find them. Yeah, you can find them. So the Timex, state- Timex. Before we move on, Timex American Documents. Yeah, people fucking hate this watch, and I don't know why, but people hate this watch because they want to be hating. Because it's a five hundred dollar quartz watch with subpar finishing. Uh, Shinola, you're looking at 800 bucks for quartz watches with subpar finishing. Okay. Well, maybe. I mean, I've never seen a Shinola in person. Yeah, no. I mean, they're good. I haven't seen one of these American Heritage watches. They came out about six what six months ago, maybe three, four months ago. Um, but they're they're neat, and and they're making them in Pennsylvania. They've got brass that's that's uh mined. from Benjamin Franklin's house, right? <laughs> from Benjamin Franklin's house. You you know they've done a thing. They've done a thing, which is to say we're going to commit our company to making something in the United States. We're an American company. Again, finger quotes. We're going to commit ourselves to making something in America. And I love it. Yeah. And I love it. It's a Swiss movement. It's a Swiss movement. So they're that not making seems the movements to be okay here. to me. I think so, too. I think so, too. Here they're employing human beings in the United States in manufacturing jobs. They're... And they're going to be expensive. It's five hundred bucks. I mean, my F one fifty was likely imported from Mexico. Yeah, that's that's the least American thing in this room. Your Ford F four fifty. I wish I had an F four fifty. But it, what is it again? An F one fifty? Like yeah, same thing. Like every other truck in the world. What's an F four fifty? Does that exist? That's America. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I I think there's I I take issue with the it must be I take issue with the threshold for American made uh, because in any other. Every other industry outsources, imports, they do things in the most cost-effective way. There's something to be said for committing to doing something in America. Even if it's only part of your process, there's something to be said that should be applauded. So if people don't like the American Documents Watch, I think it's boring, but interesting at the same time. And I love the fact that it represents a commitment to manufacturing in the United States, something we are sorely lacking right now. I can get behind that. So... Anything else, sir? For America. America. That was that might be loud. <laughs> Hard to say. <laughs> I'll finish our State of the Union address by saying that the state of our union is strong. And it is only getting stronger. You look just like Kiefer Sutherland, a designated survivor. Right now. I haven't watched the season that <laughs> dropped on Netflix yet, uh, but I intend to this week. <laughs> All right. I like I'm it. not as handsome as him, though. I think you're close. It's close. He's getting old. And yet he's still more handsome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, I dig it. State of the Union strong. And getting stronger. And getting that was stronger. the important part. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And getting stronger. The State of the Union is always strong. So we love you. We love you, Scottish listeners, Mexican listeners, Irish listeners, Canadian listeners, but America. French. But America. America, right? It's yeah. our 4th of July special. <laughs> On the 11th of July. It's not the 11th. <laughs> All right. All right. Other things. Other things. You go first. I will, because mine is the most important. Stranger Things 3. You haven't watched yet. I'm disappointed because I wanted to talk to somebody about it other than my wife. I'm trying so hard to finish The Walking Dead. Okay, I get that. I appreciate it. I respect it. But Stranger Things 3. For those of you who haven't gotten on the Stranger Things bandwagon, shame on you. Shame. Just yeah, shame. Tolling the bell, chasing you naked through the streets of King's Landing. Shame. After you shame. Shame. Y'all, get down on Stranger Things. There are now three seasons available for you to binge watch. So you can you can kiss uh what's eight times three? Twenty-four. Okay. You can kiss a full day of your life goodbye. Because it is terrific. Season one, far and away the best, which is which is normal for, for television series. It feels so perfectly 80s. Everything is right. Season two was like, at the conclusion of season one, my thought was, wow, I wish that they hadn't done that because now I feel like there's no way to do a season two. Season two comes out. Wow, they've done it. How are they going to do a season three? Season three finishes... And, and it took me a little bit longer because I, I I work at night right now and it's it's whatever. Anyway, <laughs> season three finishes and my first thought is how are the, I, literally credits roll. How are they going to do a season four teaser for season four in the credits? Guys, watch the show. This is one of the best shows. 
if not the best show available on Netflix right now. I was wondering how how deep you were going to get into the into the superlatives, but that's, that's I think it could be the best show available on Netflix right now. That was conservative. Yeah, yeah. I dig it. It's a top five TV show for me of all time. I like it. Yeah, watch like it. it. Do yourself a favor, and then next week I will provide spoilers because Ever will have watched it, and we're going to discuss it probably, but maybe not. But be prepared. <laughs> What do you got? So I had an opportunity, you know, we like cameras. Um, you like cameras. I had an opportunity to play with a, a new camera, a new to me camera. It's, I don't own it, so it's not even new to me. It was just something I'd never played with before. Are you going to keep it? Uh, I'm not. It doesn't belong to me. That's why I asked you, are you going to keep it? I could try. It actually belongs to my father-in-law, and um, it's really cool. What the camera is, is a Nikon Coolpix P900. Now, this is uh, what's called a bridge camera or um, um, a, a telezoom point and shoot. Uh, so, so some of you guys will know immediately what this is. And, and the reason you'll know immediately what this is is because it's the most phallic consumer grade camera there is. It is a 2000 millimeter equivalent zoom on a point and shoot. And it's cool. So these have been out for about a year, I think, I'm guessing. Is point and um, shoot a pejorative? I don't think so. I, I mean, I think it, it gets used as, as a pejorative from time to time, but uh, I, I don't think I use it that way. Um, but what I mean when I say a point and shoot, I, I mean a, a camera that's that's intended to take snapshots, that's primarily going to get used in some form of auto mode, um, that's going to give you versatility ease of use, walkability. Now I'll say, when I think of a point and shoot, I think of something very little. I've got my my little Fuji um, X-T20. I think the Fuji that everyone has. I also have that camera. You've got a Fuji X-T20? We get, we're twinsies? Are you talking the old one that you got? No, no, no. I've got my digital, my digital Fuji. Yeah, I think the one um, everyone has. I might have two of them. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's a nice camera. If you have one, I'd be surprised. But, um, and you didn't know what it was, right? It's not a cheap camera. Anyway, um, so when I think of a point and click, I think of something small, preferably pocketable, or certainly not clunky. This is not that. This is bigger than a Nikon D5300 with a 50 millimeter lens attached to it. So, wow. Um, it's huge. It's gigantic. And it zooms at a 2000 millimeter equivalent. Uh, you, you know, so if you've ever seen a 2000 millimeter lens, that's like a telescope on the front of your camera. So it, it's very interesting. Like the to people me. that planet earth use. Uh, that's right. <laughs> so you can't get that close to alligators. Um, and, and you know, it, it's got some limitation. It's got some major limitations. And if you're a photographer, it's going to be incredibly disappointing to use on a regular basis if you're trying to shoot like a DSLR because it's not. It's got a tiny sensor. It's got a variable aperture lens, which is to say it, it goes to from 2.8, I think, close up to 5.6 as you mm. get into the deep range. So it's not incredibly fast. The tiny sensor means it's not going to have incredible depth of field. Um, you're not going to be able to get those creamy bokeh portraits. Um, but what it does mean is if you go to the zoo and you want to catch the fly on that rhino's ass, you're probably going to be able to do it. And I think, gosh, that's so cool. 500 bucks you can get these things for. Um, it's a 67 millimeter threaded uh, lens, so you can use filters on it. Uh, I just thought, this is so cool. This is so cool. It's not something I would ever consider buying because um, it's just kind of not the way I shoot. But then I'm playing with it, and I'm thinking, I got to get one of these. You do. I got to get one of these. This is so fun. You know, a 2000 millimeter lens, I haven't priced them out. I don't know how much they cost, but I, I would guess to get that kind of length on a full frame DSLR, you're probably talking 10 to 15,000 minimum. I would think so. Yeah. Um, you know, crop sensor to get the equivalent, it's going to be a little bit less money, but, but that doesn't do, that doesn't mean you've are closer. It just means you've got a smaller picture. Um, this has got a 2000 millimeter equivalent lens stretched out and, and you're going to want it on a tripod, right? Cause you're still going to be shaky as hell. But how cool is that? That's for, a, that's an unreal amount of zoom on that for 500 bucks for 500 bucks. What a cool camera. If, if you're interested in something like that, you can pick them up for, you know, the price of a Hamilton khaki. Um, it's got the lens, it's got everything you need. You're going to be able to take snapshots. You're going to be able to take long zoom pictures. 
um, I think just a really cool, a really cool camera. And I had a lot of fun playing with it. So I want to play with it at the zoo. <laughs> yeah. That's what the place to take it, right? Yeah. Take it to the zoo and play with it and catch that, that fly on the rhino's ass. People think it's weird when a single adult male goes to the zoo though. Yeah. That, but think... if you have a camera around your neck, it is less weird. Right. Or way more weird. I mean, you could take that human being who you had a part in making, who's... He's a pain a in the ass at the zoo because he's as excited <laughs> to see things as I am, but he wants to see it all like four, five, six times. I just want to see each one for a little bit longer once. All right. Have you been to the zoo with him? With Mark? Yeah. No, I haven't. Uh, we'll do that soon. Yeah, let's go up to Portland. Yeah. All right. Well, you got anything else today? I got nothing else. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20. Please check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20. Or if you want to support the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. Bumming on Tremolo by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.